everybody. Welcome to Rock and Roll Shinsu Chu. This is episode 113. My name is Gabe Estel. I'm here with my co-host, Dennis Levi Leach and Jonathan Getz. Happy holidays, guys. How's it going? Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Good. It's going pretty it's good. Good. To, good to be back in the saddle here after a little bit of a of a uh, a fall hiatus for us, but uh Hope everybody's sliding into uh, into the holiday season nicely. I'm excited about tonight because tonight is um, something we've, we've done annually here on the show. It's time for the chew-ins, okay? So it's, it's that time of year. Time for mistletoe, eggnog, canaras, menorah, and the chew-ins. This year is bigger and better than ever um, as we've got legendary artists and colorful big league players. Think of it as the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, our version of it at least, meets the all-Madden team or the all-Joe Madden team. So on the music end of things, Jonathan's going to be paying homage to stoner rock gods Fu Manchu. Levi's going to celebrate British crooner and music video pioneer Robert Palmer. And I am going to honor R&B chameleon Sananda Maitri formerly Terrence Trent Darby. But wait, there's more. We've got a baseball angle for tonight as well. Each of us is going to get to play the part of the field scout in the draft room, and we get to make a pick based on our own observations. So with the musicians and bands, we trust that each other is making the right pick. With the team, we are each trying to get those four to five players. We just got to get on the roster before their spot is taken, okay? Okay. So we've got musicians that we, we value, but we feel as are, are underrated. We honor those as part of the chew-in ceremony. And then also we've got our b- baseball players, right? These are players that have something, that kind of certain X factor that we've always appreciated. Um, you know, they could, they could have played hard. They could have been grinders. They could have a really cool baseball card. They could have contributed something to the game that was meaningful that maybe gets overlooked. But these are people that are our players. The only caveat is they cannot be in Cooperstown. And with the bands, those bands cannot be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And most likely they probably never will be. Um, So we want to give justice to both of these camps tonight and put them in the chew-ins. I'm excited, guys. This idea of never will be, I think you're underselling our influence that we could have yes. on future Rock Hall inductions. Yes. <laughs> Hopefully, uh, I don't know, David Fricky's listening to this or something. <laughs> I don't know. Or, yeah, but um, exciting stuff. So we're going to do the music part first. All right. We have a storied list of of artists. Um, so we've probably done this for what? Probably about it's probably about the sixth annual right around there, guys, maybe something like yeah. that. Yeah. 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 So um over the next couple of weeks, we'll, you know, on Facebook, I'll post some of the, you know, the people we've already inducted and things like that. But I think we've got a good class tonight, um, an eclectic class, as always. Um, Jonathan, I'm going to let you start it off um, and tell us more about Fu Manchu and why they are a chew-in. Well, why they're a chew-in is they have a kind of an origin story with me and uh, I was going to school at Iowa state university and uh, I, I didn't, I didn't live too far from downtown. I lived way off of campus and, and near downtown instead. 
And uh, we would often uh, like walk to the public library and uh, the public library one Saturday was having a sale, you know, when they sell like media and, and books and, and, um, and it's all dirt cheap. It's like a dollar. Right. And, uh, and I stumbled upon uh, this album with uh, Tony Alva skateboarding on the cover. Um <laughs> And I, I, and I was captivated. I, I, I had never heard of Fu Manchu, um, but I was convinced by this album cover. And then on the back, this, you know, the skateboard wheel. Uh, I'm not a skater, but I was, I was intrigued by what they were implying by this. And uh, I had no idea what stoner rock was. Um, uh, honestly, at that time, for me, it was mostly Pearl Jam, the Black Crows and, and widespread panic. And, uh, so I knew that this was going to be a bit of a departure, but for a dollar, I couldn't pass it up. And, and, and so I took it home and, and, and I quickly learned what stoner rock is, which is, uh, for those not familiar, it's kind of a mix of punk and psych that, that started in Southern California and Mm -hmm. influences from like black Sabbath and deep purple and blue oyster cult and lots of seventies classic rock to uh, punk bands like black flag and circle jerks and, and some angles I'm, I'm less familiar with those angles, those corners I'm, I was less familiar with. And, and, but with all these lyrics about cars and desert highways, you could also claim that there was like a huge old school country influence there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and so the, the beginnings of stone rock were, were bands like Caius and, and, and uh, clutch and Queens of the stone age, probably being the most prominent example of, of, mm-hmm. Uh, of the genre, the subgenre, and um, but I was unfamiliar with all those bands at the time, and and so Fu Manchu was definitely my my entry point, and um, so they were founded by Scott Hill, and uh, the Action Is Go, which was the album I got, was the, their fourth album, um, and uh, it was their first uh, with guitarist and a friend of the podcast Bob Balch, uh, we we, we've interviewed uh, before on here. And uh, and also drummer Brent Bjork, uh, who has who's been in several bands. Uh, and uh, so and it was with this album that they started adding uh, kind of sci fi and, and, and skating references to their constant car culture references. Uh, you know, I, I learned in another podcast interview, Scott was a big fan of the Outer Limits TV show of the 60s. Mm. And so that helped influence his, his kind of sci fi leanings and. And, uh, you know, Fu Manchu is just kind of this uncomplicated, fun, crunchy and swirly and overfuzz guitars. And and it, it really hit me over the head and helped me recognize, you know, where kind of modern subgenres of rock could go. Because mm-hmm. um, at the time I was kind of stuck in my ways. I wasn't exploring too much uh, outside of um, outside of my stalwarts. And, you know, similar to ACDC. Um, and Fu Manchu is similar to ACDC in that their sound and riffs are kind of unmistakably theirs. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they stick to a formula, but they evolve a little bit more. And, you know, they often show this range with covers on their albums, on their studio albums, like Devo's Freedom of Choice, The Cars Moving in Stereo, Blue Oyster Colt's Godzilla. Um, there's just the right amount of cowbell sprinkled throughout um, Fu Manchu and not in like an ironic way. Um, like it's just, it just plain fits, uh, what they're going for. And, and it was interesting to hear about their recording process and, 
you know, they, they record everything to four track first and everybody comes out, everybody comes in with riffs from the band. Everybody in the band comes in with these riffs and um, every song is just built around the riff. You know, it, there's just no bones about it. And if, and if it doesn't stick, then it gets pitched and uh, it's kind of a no fuss approach to songwriting that they stick to. And, you know, Scott, Scott's mentioned that they, you know, they also think about both sides of record when they're recording and, and, and when they consider songwriting and track listing, they're very cognizant of that idea, that old school seventies rock and roll mentality of side a side B and uh, you know, I, I, I thinking about the reasons to induct them is, is um, you know, this consistent catalog of, of, of albums um california crossing california crossing that was the he, first one i bought he yeah. uh he both uh scott hill both married the girl and owns and bought the car on the cover of that <laughs> <laughs> all their album covers kick ass uh king of the road another another album i got for one dollar according to the price tag on it which is an absolute steal and i just learned that it's also a uh cd rom it's got videos on it um uh, so I'm going to have to dig out my CD-ROM and plug oh, it into right. my computer this weekend. <laughs> play some, <laughs> Cue those up. Play some Doom right after it. <laughs> yeah, dust off the gateway. <laughs> I, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. And <laughs> uh, the, the, so the sticker on the front, uh, the hype sticker says, "This is a damn near perfect record from what most from us must be." damn near the most conceptually perfect rock band since the Ramones NME. Um, uh, the Fu Man, uh, the uh, Daredevil uh, cover. This is one of their early EPs um, with the dune buggy on there. Uh, just it's, it's nonstop uh, for them uh, with, uh, you know, this, this aesthetic, you know, they, they recognize that all the components that complement the music, the album covers convey the vibe. And as a graphic designer, they directly it, impact my experience of the music contained on, on the CDs and on the records. And, and just like, you know, what caught my eye with this, you know, with this album, granted, this is just a photo of, you know, a fa fairly famous, relatively famous photo um, that they decided they're going to flood their cover with. And, and, um, and it was very befitting. Um, and so, but as far as, you know, even more reasons to induct, uh, you know, like I said, the consistently rocking catalog doesn't compromise, but does evolve at the same time. Right. Uh -huh. um, they get respect from legends like Alex Lifeson, uh, who yeah. appeared on uh, their uh, night, their night, I'm sorry, their 2018 album, uh, Clone of the Universe. It's a, the side B of that is an 18 minute track called uh, Il Mastro Atomico. And uh, they, you know, they, they, they heard from Alex Lifeson's people that he'd be interested. And so they just sent him the, the they just sent him the 18 minute track and they're like, do whatever the hell you want, man. <laughs> we'll put it in there. Uh -huh. And uh, uh, so that's, you know, that, that's, uh, that's a big deal for yeah. them. I let Alex Lifeson call the shots. You know? Yeah. Like, yeah. And it, honestly, and it, it just speaks to their no fuss approach. You know, they, uh, they're, they, they don't overthink things. Um, they often, uh, you know, they often get asked. Um, so, you know, part of this uh, big picture too with them is this greater culture that they embrace, you know, the skating culture, for example. And, and they're always getting asked to use their music in skate videos. And they respond, just use whatever you want. Just go talk to the label 
about, you know, getting it done. We don't care mm-hmm. what you use, just use it. And it's, it's absolutely no fuss. And they, they embrace, um, uh, they embrace this whole aesthetic of, you know, seventies, uh, uh, vans and, and, and drag racing and, uh, and, and skateboarding. And it, it creates this, this whole that's greater than the sum of the parts. And, uh, that's why I'm inducting Fu Manchu. Born from the ashes of, of Caius, you know, yep, as yep, well. Yep. Um, I was thinking as you were, as you were talking about Caius and, um, kind of all the branches on the Caius tree, because obviously Fu Manchu came out of that. Queens of the Stone Age came out of that. Um, Brant Bjork, you know, has had yep. a lot of the really, has a really awesome solo catalog as well. And he just, He's one of my favorite followers on Instagram. He just seems like a total badass dude. Um, yeah, he's he's a busy, busy badass dude. He does a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he he looks like he knows what and, he's and, doing. Um, no longer with the band, though. I think he's moved. No, on. he's been out um, of Fumanchu yeah. for a yeah. while. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but um, you know, Caius, and you know, obviously, there's there's the it's kind of the Palm Desert scene. Yeah, you yeah. know of of that like. You know how it kind of like the Eagles are sort of, you know, because I was thinking like, is like Caius to country rock, like what the birds is, you know, like you start with the birds yeah, yeah. and then you go to like, you know, offshoots of the birds are like the Burrito Brothers and then Poco, mm-hmm. right? And then the Eagles, right? Yeah, so yeah, like, sure, sure. You take with like, sure. same thing, California, but like Caius, yeah. Fu Manchu. Coins of the Stone Age, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I like it. I like yeah. it. It's a theory. Maybe I need to flesh out a little bit yeah. more. But I think you see the parallels. I, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I, well, yeah, I, I see the solar system. Yeah. What's crazy is all of those bands. You know, they would go out into the desert in the early to mid nineties and just hold like raging parties out and take generators. <laughs> yeah, they would just like crank up some generators and start playing music. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it would have been a really cool scene to uh, to be a part of. Oh yeah, man, definitely. Like early early nineties around all those cats that would be badass. And and Josh Homme is still doing those desert sessions. He just released some more of those sessions last um, last year, and and there's there's some really a lot of really good cameos on those. Um, and 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 it's a lot of guys that you know might not ask for any credit at all, like some high yeah. profile guys that might not ask for any credit. And and Homme's played on some some Fu Manchu stuff under a pseudonym. Yeah. Um, and so it just kind of shows the brotherhood of that scene. Yeah. Also like everything out of that, that gets, I guess that kind of label of stoner rock, if you will. I like all of it. You know what I mean? It's like, mm-hmm. I've never heard like an album. It's like, Oh, that sucks. You know, there's a lot of other bands that, that you didn't mention that certainly aren't as big or some newer ones from the genre that are particularly strong. Um, obviously yeah. on this podcast and I think I, I've talked up Lopan and Torch quite mm-hmm. a bit and I would think they would certainly cite those guys as an the sword. I think we've talked about the sword before. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yep. yeah, yeah. All it's, good stuff. I mean, it's Monster like, Magnet, you could put in that too, you know? Yeah. To your point, Gabe, it's like, if you're, it's hard to screw up a chocolate chip cookie. Like if you it understand is. the components that you need for mm-hmm. stoner rock, like yeah. if you just have those like three or four ingredients, it's yep. going to be hard to fuck it up. <laughs> yep. Oh yeah, absolutely. 
So yeah, I've got, I've got a big, a big mix, you know, of like 600, 700 songs of every album that could even be, you know, loosely classified in, in that genre. And it's mm-hmm. just, it's a ripper. Yeah. Yep. Um, good, good, good pick, man. I, I have California crossing. Um, that was, that's my, I have that one. I have action is go. And I have the, there's like a live record called like go for it live. I think yeah. I have, yeah. I have that one yeah. too. Um, yeah, yeah. Good, good stuff, man. I, really uh, good and stuff. I, I was fortunate to see him uh, live uh, here in oh, Kansas yeah? city at the record nice. bar on their uh, 20th anniversary tour for the action is go where I got my vinyl um and uh, they performed action as go in its entirety and uh i could die happy sweet good deal good choice thanks thanks do you want to go next gabe or you want me to um you know what i'll go levi because you have such a strong pick levi i want you to uh i want you to i want you to headline the music okay like you your pick when i heard it i was jealous you know oh. what I mean? I was like, like you were mad at yourself. My pick is, my pick is interesting, man, because um, I, I've told you guys before, I, I always, when I'm making these picks, I, I really only have one criteria. Like I don't, I don't care about the genre, you know, I mean, I've, um, I've, I've brought forward uh, DJ quick, you know, hip hop artist, um, you know, Fairport convention. I, 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 I inducted a few years ago. So you know, obviously, and most of us too. You know, we've um, obviously it's it's we've we've covered a lot of genres with the picks. Um, so I, I and my uh, you know my criteria is I've, I I, I want to have three really good to great records by the artists. That's kind of like my my criteria. I won't pick them if they don't have that. You know, um, so with um, Sananda um, Matria. Um, Matria, excuse me. It's one of those names you look at, like never figure out totally how to pronounce <laughs> it. Um, like even like I even like had it click the pronunciation like a couple times. Like I, I like I I want to say Terrence Trent Darby, but I also like want to respect the dude's name yeah. change. Yeah. You know, yeah. yeah. Um, so I mean, obviously my my exposure to him was probably the same as 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 both of you. You know, I mean, you hear you saw the video for Wishing Well back in like nineteen eighty seven, eighty eight. You know. Um, uh, stated off the bat, absolutely phenomenal single. I think one of the best singles of the decade. Um, and then, um, I don't know if you guys remember my uncle Steve, um, who passed away, uh, probably about 20 years ago, like 2001, I think he died. And, um, you know, good, really, really good music taste. And, and, I, my grandmother gave me his vinyl collection, right? When he died. And obviously there was all this great stuff in it. Like, you know, he was a big prog guy. So there was yes and ELP and Genesis and Rush. And, and I was kind of already into that stuff when I got it, but it was nice to have like every yes and ELP record on vinyl. Thanks to him. <laughs> um, and I was looking through it, you know, and, and some of the selections were a little more eclectic and he had, um, the Terrence Schritt Darby's debut record, Whoa. you know, from 1987 on vinyl in really good shape too, you know, um, I had been played, but it, it hadn't been played much. Um, and I was like, wow, okay, cool. Didn't expect this one in there, you know? Um, I mean, he didn't have, he didn't have like an extensive R and B collection really in the, uh, in the, in the vinyl. 
aside from like a couple Stevie Wonder records. So um, I put it on like when I was in college um, and, you know, I, I remember thinking like, wow, this is, I don't know. I didn't know anything but wishing well and dance little sister, um, you know, uh, is, was kind of the other single bigger, bigger single from that record. And I listened to the whole thing. I was like, wow, this is really good. You know, this is um, certainly one of the better debut albums of that era. And this is the, the album being intro- introducing the hard line, according to Terrence Strait Darby, the guy likes a mouthful in his titles of albums. <laughs> um, and so then, you know, I kind of put it down for a while. And then I would say probably like a, a couple of years ago, it was one of those things I, I like, I, you know, I just, I wanted to hear wishing well, you know, I was like, Oh, in the streaming era, you can pull up any song you want. So I, I put it on and then, um, you know, wanted to listen to the whole record and uh, it just really knocked me out. Like how good, that first record is it's um it, it did really well i i um I, I i didn't know how many albums it sold but um it, it worldwide it sold a million copies within its first three days of going on sample. yeah came out in july of of 87 on columbia and um i think a lot of people you know, we're kind of like, Hey, this, we've got like the next Prince here, you know, the album, the album was like, cause like, if you listen to the record, you know, it, um, I, I, I guess if you had to classify it as anything, it would be an R and B record, but it's also got, you know, rock and roll elements to it, you know, and he can play guitar, he can play piano, you know, he can play bass. It's like the dude, the dude can play a lot of instruments as well, but sure. he's also a really good kind of, you know, um, you know, he was a showman. He was, yeah, he was really showman. He was prince-like in a lot of well, ways. Yeah, a lot of people can kind of compare him a little bit to James Brown as far as like dancing yeah. at the mic and doing all the mic hmm. tricks and stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. He's he's definitely very lith, you know, <laughs> like yeah. he's um yes, snake-like up there. And um the album, uh the sound of it. Um, I don't want to call it a hard bop because it's, you know, it's a jazz term and it certainly has jazzy elements to it, but kind of like, um, it's got a funky kind of hard edged R and B if I want to characterize it as that. And I don't know if he influenced her or not. I I'm, I'm not sure. I think that sound kind of, it's you heard that sound emerge a couple of years later in some of Janet Jackson's stuff with like the rhythm nation, 1814, you know, you hear some of that. Um, it's, it's this, I don't know how to say it's kind of like a hard edged R and B that was kind of impo- that was kind of popular from like, you know, I, I would say some of Prince's stuff, Terrence Tritt Darby all the way up until about like 93 ish, you know, when you had like, Tony, 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 and they like even like even like a little bit on the poppier end with like Tevin Campbell or something like that. It's got some of that, and it's you don't really hear that production anymore. You know, if you listen to like a modern R and B album, it doesn't sound like that. Um, you listen to a you know a modern hip hop album, it doesn't sound like that. Um, so it was really a period there of about like six years or so. I guess yeah, you know, Prince is some of it, but I wouldn't say Terrence Strait Darby's. Sonata stuff is is as funky as Prince's is, um. So the album just you know just really intrigued me, and I, it's just grown on me so much in recent years. And um, yeah, it's 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 great. And um, so then I you know wanted to explore more of his catalog. And before I get into that, one thing that I think is really unfortunate that people always associate him with is 
you know, obviously that out, the first album was getting a lot of buzz and wishing well was a huge single. And, you know, it ended up eventually going five, five times platinum. Um, and he was one of those people that like was not media shy by any means. He was, he was like pretty outspoken. Um, he had said in an interview that um, he thought it was the most important record since Sergeant Peppers. Right. He said that. And like a lot of people are like, Oh, what a fucking dickhead, you know, like we say that for it's so stupid, you know, reminds me of like when people like to say like, Oh, the Oasis, you like Oasis. They said they were better than the Beatles, you know, <laughs> like, Right, no, hey, and, and I who think gives a shit, right? Yeah, what people like that and say. I think you know that just goes back to him as a being the showman, yeah, being the, I mean, he was his own hype man, yeah, you know, yeah. and um, he said, I just, he's like, I just said that for publicity. He's like, I just right? said because yeah. so, I knew people I mean, would pay yeah. attention to it. He was <laughs> yeah. one of those, whatever. <laughs> he was one of those artists in the late eighties that wasn't afraid to use the press that way. Mm -hmm. Whereas a lot of people, it would just be like, Oh, we're going to sit down and I'm going to ask you 20 questions and you're going to give me 20 run of the mill. Mm -hmm. Or or like the artists would be all aloof and shit and act like they didn't want to do interviews. You know, like I think that was just him being, being the salesman for himself. You know what I mean? And I, I, he did get that bad rap, but I, I, I could see through that even, you know, even, Back then, you could you could see through that. Um, yeah, I never held that against him. I I um I guess I as I get older, I appreciate self promotion. You do what you got to do. You know, I mean, right? Yeah, and yeah. And if we, anything, it only hurt him in the fact that when you have an album like that right out of the gate that you yep. sell five million copies of, the pressure is on for your yeah. next record. So that's a good segue because I read in researching for this article, um, he was on the cover of Spin in 89, right? So it would have been in anticipation of that second record, record. right? It was about to come out. Um, And it's it's a really good interview, long form, you know, long thing. Um, Like, he's just really eccentric, you know, the interviewee was like, he didn't want us to come over until like three 30 in the morning, you know, and like, <laughs> he was just like, you know, he like cooked them breakfast and shit, you know, like, right. Like just, yeah. and like, he wouldn't stop talking. He just went on and on and on, you know, and he's talking about like mysticism and stuff. And I don't know, you know, like one person's, one person's opinion of pretentiousness, another person views as ambitious, you know, I mean, right. um, he probably, the dude, kind of walked a fine line, I guess, between the two a little bit, but I, I found him really endearing during the interview and his life was pretty, um, pretty wild. Um, his, his youth and everything. Um, he was the son of a, of a preacher. Uh, he's American born. And I think a lot of people associate him with Europe just cause he's, he's lived there for so long, married an Italian actress. Um, I think lives in Italy now, but, um, he, you know, he's this preacher's kid. So it's almost kind of like the equivalent of an army brat. You know, you're always traveling. They eventually settled like in Florida where he like, that was like his high school years. And, you know, he was a kid that got beat up all the time and stuff, you know, and all that. And then he joined the army um, just kind of, uh, you know, just so he could travel. And he ended up in Germany and, um, you know, just, he, he was growing up singing in the church a little bit because of his dad. But when he went over to Germany, it's like 
don't know, the article touched on like um, the history of black music is like really studied in Germany, you know, like you had all of these and, 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 and England as well. Cause you had all these American African-American service men going over overseas, you know, world war two, they stuck around, you know, some of the stuck around and they got there and just the influence carried, you know, that's kind of like how some folks got into, you know, blues and R and B over there. And, and so he studied up on all that. And, um, you know, that's, that was like, it is like early twenties. His first record came out when he was like 24, 25. And, um, during that first record or like when it was taken off, um, he became friends with Pete Townsend as well. The article had mentioned. Oh. Yeah. And, um, he also sang on a Brian Wilson record. And I guess during that period in between the first and second record, um, somebody gave him a copy of pet sounds and he had never heard it. Right. Like despite, you know, his musical pedigree, he just, you know, he was just into other stuff and he'd never heard it. He liked it so much that he listened to it like all day, every day for six months straight. <laughs> he said, yeah. yeah. So like, that's like all he listened to for six months. And um, that was kind of the inspiration for the second record, you know, um, and you can hear the flourishes of 60s influence on the second record. Um, it's a shame, like Levi had mentioned, you know, you come out of the gate strong and um, the second record just doesn't connect with people in the same way. You know, not only was, maybe commercially, yeah. um, critics didn't like it. You know, obviously it was highly anticipated. So Columbia really wanted uh, another, they were expecting another really record that's going to produce all these hit singles and sell another 5 million copies. And he gave them something, you know, I think much more personal and much more kind of what he was really, what he, I don't want to say what he was feeling, but like much, much more personal, I think, and much more eclectic and, and just, you know, in, in, the, right. in the period he, of two, he, in the period of two grown. years, the guy like really expanded his record collection Ex- and started yeah. listening to new shit. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Okay, yeah. No, no. Yeah. It, it's the, it's one of those cases where the record company wants something that's going to sound like the record that sold 5 million copies. Absolutely. And, and most true artists aren't willing to, to do that. Yeah, no, nobody, so, nobody wants to make a part two. It was like you know? way yeah. more ambitious and more out there sounding than the first record. But yep. it's still good. We haven't said the name of it yet. It's called Neither Fish Nor Flesh. Yeah. And then in, in parentheses, of course, because the dude likes a mouthful. Yeah, you soundtrack of love, faith, hope, and destruction, right? Um, you know, and, and, and so I guess the title alone probably turned people off, you know, thinking it was, you know, indulgent or something like that. Um, I really like the second record, though. You know, it um, it's it's one of those things. It, it's as Levi and I mentioned, it got panned at the time it came out. Like people just didn't know what to do with it, and they were obviously expecting something else. I think something something a little more streamlined R and B or closer to his first record. And um, it's it's aged really well, though. You know, like its its reputation has improved. It's one of those record records. Like critics are like, "Oh, I was wrong about that one." You know. Um, so, you know, he, he struggled with that, like, you know, commercially it struggled and it's got this psychedelic feel to it as well. And it's funkier and it's just great. And then his next album um, was, I think is, is just as strong and it's called symphony or damn. 
So that's his third record that came out in '93. Combines kind of the first two records really well. It does. It like does. He, yeah, it's a like he kind of realized like how he could make both of them live in the same world together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so and, yeah, and, and by that point, you know, ninety three, some folks had kind of forgotten about him. You know what I mean? It had right. been five years. Just uh, I don't know. Just you know, uh, things are just a little bit different. Um, it did. I mean, it's not to say it didn't do well. I mean, it it, it was bigger, much bigger in the UK. In America, I don't really think it made much noise, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, so, you know, but it was like number four in the UK. And from that point on, you know, like after um, uh, Symphony or Dam, he, he, had, he had an album come out called Vibrator in 95. That's also really good. That one's on Columbia as well. Um, so I, I would give him four records, I think, that are kind of like his, you know, his his classic albums is well, yeah and then, um yeah the the symphony or damn there's a song on there called she kissed me that has like grunge vibes to it It does yeah it does like it's it's really he's he's an eclectic worldly dude and all of those influences um you know they show on the albums and and you know he it talks about this in that spin article you know he's he's mixed race you know he's he's um he you know he white black and native american you know and so obviously in the article it talks about you know a lot of just sort of identity struggles he he grew up with you know it felt like he didn't fit in with with anybody you know necessarily and he you know he's he's spent most of his time in europe since you know like the 90s since he made it big he's just like i'm gonna be european you know don't blame him right if i had money and hit record i would go to europe too and probably never come back but um so he's he's a very global dude and worldly dude and um really prolific still you know like i mean he he puts out albums just about every year and i in, in anticipation of this episode i listened to pretty much his whole catalog um that's a lot of albums i don't think he lands every punch you know and 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 it's out there but it's um so there, there are, are glimpses of just really great stuff still. He still makes interesting music. Um, maybe not start to finish as strong as those three, four records that I mentioned there. But he still, I, I still was able to find something intriguing on every one of his albums. And, and some of them are really funny, too. He's got like a good sense of humor as well. Um, and then also, I, I don't know if you guys, this is the last point. Um, there was some talk. Uh, he was good friends with Michael Hutchins and NXS, right? And there was some there was some talk when, when Michael Hutchins, um, you know, died unfortunately, like I think ninety seven something like that. Um, they did a tribute concert for him where um, where Sonata, you know, sings with them, and it fucking rips. It's on um, it's on YouTube. You can go over there. It was at like a, a Australian football stadium or something. And uh, it was there, there was there was, I guess there were talk of of him you know replacing him and being the lead singer, but it just I don't know for some reason it didn't hmm. pan out. Um, so really good. And then last thing as well, um, I, I listened to part of his one of his live albums from like a year ago, right? Well, not a year; it's pandemic, but it, it's dated twenty twenty, and I think it's fairly recent. Um, he does one of the most ripping covers of obviously a very <laughs> well covered rock tune. Go listen to his version of Jumpin' Jack Flash from his live record from two years ago. It's like 13 minutes long and it rips. I mean, the guy's voice just soars still too. You know, I mean, he's he's got a hell of a voice. So 
Um, Sonata, keep doing what you're doing, man. Uh, I've uh, it's been a fun journey to watch, man. So that's nice that's, that's that's my guy on this one. Yeah, I, I um, uh, what you ended the point you ended on there with the the voice. You know, that my the first thing I noticed in um, listening to those first few albums was that I was I, I was immediately more attracted to the, like the second and the third albums, mm-hmm. and then I realized that um, some of those some of those cuts, I think there's like maybe a couple acapella cuts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I realized, Oh, this is where Jeff Buckley came from. <laughs> ah, ah, good one. Good one. Yeah. yeah. Like, when you, when you hear an artist and you, and you realize that they influence an artist that you've known for a long time, it's, mm-hmm. it's a great puzzle to put together um in hindsight and uh yeah listening to those first two records i was like oh okay yeah jeff buckley was definitely influenced by these these mm-hmm. albums before he put out grace a uh, ben harper call, too. man ben harper as well yeah i think um but uh, yeah that, that was my only thought yeah i get the impression he's pretty well respected you know among musicians and um like he's uh yeah if it even though he's not necessarily like putting out albums that everybody's gravitating towards now. Um, it's, you know, he's uh, just a, a cool global dude. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Good stuff. So that's my guy. Nice. Oh, good, choice, good job. Man. Thank you. Well, um, my choice, we said at the beginning uh, at the top of the show is Robert Palmer. And, um, you know, when we were kind of talking about doing this episode, and talking about, you know, who we were going to maybe pick this time. It even surprised myself that none of us had picked him yet because I don't Robert Palmer, I think is probably one of the most underrated artists of the seventies and eighties for sure. Um, You know, he uh, started the beginning here, you know, he grew up in England. His dad worked for the British uh, Navy and so he heard on Air Force radio, like blues, soul, jazz. And so he got into that whole world through that. And um, 1971, he hooked up with Pete Gage and Elkie Brooks, and they formed a band called Vinegar Joe that lasted about three years, I think. And um, excellent stuff, you know, kind of prototypical early 70s classic rock type of vibes. Um, Elkie had a a hellacious voice as well. So the two of them made, you know, for for quite a a duo as far as vocals. And then, um, you know, I'm not, I don't want to speed through his early life, but where it really all starts with me, with him and my true deep love is in 1974, he recorded an album called Sneakin' Sally Through the Alley. And um, recorded it in New Orleans with um, there's basically like two different sessions that the album stems from. The first session was with the meters as his backing band, which a, you know, in 1974, Robert Palmer was basically a nobody. Uh And, And so to get put into a studio with the meters as your backing band and then Lowell George came on to help kind of guide the, the sessions as well and played slide guitar on most nice. of the record. So, yeah, that whole first record, most of the slide guitar is Lowell George. And so then they get him introduced to Alan Toussaint, who's like, well, sure, you, 
you can play a couple like there's a couple of his songs on the record um you know obviously sneaking sally through the alley is the one and then from a whisper to a scream is the other alan Toussaint song and um the other tracks the other there's like basically it's like four or five with that band and then the other four or five consisted of Cornell Dupree on guitar, who is an awesome, famous studio guitar player, and Bernard Purdy on drums, who's mm-hmm. legendary and known for the, the patented Purdy Shuffle, played with Steely Dan and all kinds of people. And um, one of my favorite songs off that record is the last song called Through It, Through it All There's You. Mm. And it's like a 12-minute rambling, slow burn of a cooker type of a song. Well, lo and behold, the guy playing piano on that is Steve Winwood, <laughs> which gives it almost that, uh, you, it's not low spark of high Hill boys, but it's got that slow uh-huh. burn, low spark vibe. Yeah. And so... um that was his debut record. And so it was along the lines of TTD where it's like, man, that's an amazing first record to come out with. And so in 1975, he followed it up just a year later with his second record pressure drop, which kept the same kind of theme going as far as, you know, uh, the little feet vibes and started to introduce a little bit more, um, I should say like world and Jamaican type feel reggae. And then um, another year after that, he was very prolific in the Uh seventies. 1976 was some people can do what they like, which kind of failed on the charts. Cause like his first two records sold pretty well. And so the third record didn't sell so great. And so he decided to move to Nassau in the Bahamas and gets hooked up in that whole music scene in the Bahamas. And so he took a year off and returned in 1978 and made the album Double Fun, which is all of his records have great covers. The the album yeah. covers most he of looks like a guy having fun, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, most <laughs> yeah. of his records are like him and a beautiful woman. And he's a good looking son of, of a bitch, too. I mean, <laughs> right? you know, oh, yeah. he's a handsome bastard. He really oh, yeah. is. Yeah. yeah. And so um Double Fun came out, and obviously, being he was living in the Bahamas, it had a, a Caribbean flavor to it. Um, the big hit off that record was Every Kind of People, mm-hmm. which is a great song. Killer um, song. Yeah, it sounds like it, you listen to it now, and it almost sounds like it could have been like a 60s standard, like Marvin Gaye could have did mm-hmm. for somebody. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And um, so... A year later, in 1979, he comes out with the album called Secrets, which he wants to kind of change his sound a little bit. So he does more of kind of a rock approach on that record, which yielded another hit for him, Doctor Doctor, which I'm sure everybody has heard that song before. Mm-hmm. And, it was kind uh, of a, I don't want to call it crossover hit, but right? it, yeah. it was yeah, like he yeah. kind of. He uh-huh. left the shadow a little bit of the 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 laid back little feet caribbean type sound Uh and went to that and then in 1980 he joins basically the new wave with his album clues which featured chris france of the talking heads and gary newman on it two famous (laughs) 80s artists Uh had the hit johnny and mary off of it which 
it was like, you know, right at the birth of music videos. And so in 1983, he comes out and follows that up with Pride, which is a good record of his as well. And during the tour for the Pride record, he meets Duran Duran at a charity concert and they hit it off. And so then in 1985, Duran Duran is on like a break or a hiatus. And so he joins with them and they form a super group called the Power Station, uh-huh. which they had two huge hits on the radio back then and on MTV called Some Like It Hot. And they covered the T-Rex song Bang A Gong. Uh-huh. Um, what's crazy about that is, though, where he got along with those guys well enough to do all that record, he only played with them live one time. Hmm. And that was on Saturday uh-huh. Night Live. So they didn't tour then. They signed up and started a tour and Robert Palmer quit like right before the tour was Ah. about to start. And so pissed off all the guys in Duran Duran, obviously that he had been playing with. And um, I believe Graham Bonnet was the one who they signed up to sing and fill that tour. If I respectable, you know, don't get me wrong. Yeah. 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 And so, the reason was he said he was already past the power station. Like he was already on to like making his next record in his head. And correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't the power station also have the drummer from simple minds as well? I think uh, it maybe. may, it may. Yeah. yeah obviously I, we can verify this, but I, I want, I thought they did, which is like, it's just a killer collection of people from that era. Oh, yeah. Go ahead, yeah. Um, chic. Oh, drummer from chic. Okay. All right. Okay. And so in 85, basically he does power station then decides to like break it up and leaves him because he already has another solo record in his head, which became the huge multiple million selling record called Riptide, which when that came out, he caught flack because people said that he had kind of, some people said he had stolen the power station, like vibes and sound. Uh But in interviews he gave, he's like, that was my sound that we used on the Power Station record. You know what I mean? Like, I helped create that whole sound in the Power Station. Uh But regardless, Riptide was huge. Um, Everybody knows the Addicted to Love video. You know, it was directed by Terrence Donovan, who was a famous fashion photographer. Um, And he directed that video as well as... uh, a video called I Didn't Mean to Turn You On, which was another huge hit for him. Uh-huh. And then in uh, that record, Riptide, he won the his first Grammy off of that. And then in 1987, he moves from the Bahamas to Switzerland and creates Heavy Nova, which kind of is, you know, one of those cases where an artist... I'm not going to say succumbs to it, but he wanted to have another huge hit. And I'm sure the record company was like, you know, we can try to make another album that kind of sounds like Riptide. And so I I don't think they probably argued with that. No. And so Heavy Nova came out in 1987, which had the other huge hit of his career, Simply Irresistible, with another awesome video directed by Terrence Donovan, (laughs) which then wins him his second Grammy Award. And so 
after that, you know, he had another album in 1990 called Don't Explain that obviously didn't do as well. 1992, he had one called Riding High. 1994, he had an album called Honey. Uh, 1999, he had an album called Rhythm and Blues. And then I believe it was in 2003 was his last record called Drive. And so after Heavy Nova, none of them were as big as sellers. But I mean, sure. you know, those two records, Riptide and Heavy Nova, were just a case of music made for for the right time oh god yeah in, in the world you know what i mean they're so 80s but they're so good and um you know he he passed away in 2003 i think he was only 51 or uh, something mm-hmm. and um lifelong he, he, smoker unfortunately three three yeah. packs a day damn yeah. That's, a, that's melon camp level of smoking. Right? Yeah. <laughs> right. And so, um, you know, it was no surprise to anyone when he, he had a heart attack and died, kind of. Yeah. Um, but, um, I mean, I'm sure it was a surprise to his family and stuff. But, you know, yeah, three three packs a day is is a heavy, heavy. Yeah. yeah. And so um, he's buried in Switzerland, which is where he had been living since 1987. And, uh mm-hmm. Just, I just one of those artists that you know, all of those records I mentioned. I mean, from the from 74 to like 87, mm-hmm. none of those records are really clunkers. No, no, and that's like one, two, three, four, five, six. That's almost 10 records, basically. And, um, you know, his later output from 1990 to when he passed, none of it's terrible by any yeah. means. Yeah. But um, just uh, his, his 70s and 80s output is just amazing. And it's 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 yeah, it's cool to hear somebody change their sound drastically. Obviously, it's a different era and, and succeed still. You know what I mean? Right. Oh, um, yeah, absolutely. Like ZZ was- Top did that. Genesis did that. And I used to kind of frown on some of that stuff, you know, in college, I was like, Oh, I like the seventies stuff, you know? And I don't know, just part, I got some of it's beat on this podcast and we've, we've explored a lot of, a lot more of the catalog and probably revisited things that we hadn't listened to in a really long time. I I appreciate the eighties stuff, you know, and I actually like that production um, a lot more than I used to and kind of drawn to it now. Well, yeah, um, as yeah. far as that aspect, you know, I have loads of respect for bands that are, are A, willing to try new things sure, and not just pigeonhole themselves into the same rut. Yeah. And then B, to be successful with those albums then is a whole nother world. It's like, wow. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, Pearl Jam. Would we all love Pearl Jam if they just had eight records that no. sounded like 10? No, you know right, I mean? no, right. no, not you at know? all. And so, you know, I mean, I I would maybe even include Aerosmith in that group as far as sure. like Zeppelin or uh, as far as uh, what you said, ZZ Top and, you know, Genesis, yes, I'd put it in there. Yeah. 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 I mean, those bands were willing to change their sound to keep going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and they, they, they all transitioned to the MTV era, you know, um, pretty well. Um. I, it was ha- it was a cool moment for me, Levi, when I discovered his '70s stuff. You know, because like obviously, you know, I'm I'm I don't know I'm 
I'm seven years old when addicted to love comes out, right. you know, things like this. So <laughs> like, yeah, power station and yeah, all that. But then like, I don't know, I probably, I don't know, maybe, maybe not in college, but maybe shortly after college, I heard sneaking Sally through the alley. Mm-hmm. I, and then I, um, I discovered like, uh, I got a live show of his like off the internet, you know, during the, early download days you know mm-hmm. or somebody well, somebody yeah. on like somebody had like gifted i traded it with somebody and they're like no check this out it's like somebody on the crow's message board or something and i've got like a late 70s show of his and it's phenomenal yeah i forgot to mention there was a release i forget what year it was but there's a release in his catalog i think in the late 70s early 80s of an official live album i think it's called maybe it's live that's the name it's of got the pressure drop on it 82 Okay, yeah. oh, from 82? Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, Pressure Drop's not on there. Okay. His version of Pressure Drop is awesome. Oh, yeah. Yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah the so, show I've got is from like 70, 76 or 78 around there. It's from, um, I, I, it's it's like a college town out east. Right. I, I, I can't remember which one. Somewhere well, yeah, and I've said this before on different times but like having a sister that was 10 years older than me mm-hmm. like i just sat right next to her and watched mtv <laughs> so sure. like like i can remember you know duran duran like the girls on film video and then <laughs> then i saw power station videos and then i'll never forget seeing the the addicted to love video it's a little, it's like a six what? or seven year old kid. You're just like, what? Yeah, right. <laughs> I can remember my dad even was like, you know, whoa, what's that video? You know what I mean? My dad. Yeah, that that, that would cost some dad's attention. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, my dad always liked Robert Palmer after that. And so, you know, anytime Simply Irresistible or Addicted to Love would come on, you know, he'd be like, oh, I like that guy. And that was my impression of Robert Palmer up until about a month ago. Um, I shouldn't say impression, but that was my knowledge of was was the MTV stuff and and didn't know much else. And so Levi, when you nominated him, and I, I went back to listen to the catalog, starting with Sneak and Sally through the alley and and working our way through the seventies while cooking dinner. Um, it's uh, you have I had no idea right of of the the um, just the vast vastness of his of um, his sound. Um, and the evolution of his sound, like I, we'd be listening to it, and I'd be, I tell Betsy, I was like, "Yes, yeah, Robert Palmer." She's like, "This is Robert Palmer, really? This, this is Robert." Next night, same thing would happen. Like two albums later, this is Robert Palmer, really. And you know, you get to the end of the '70s stuff, and you already have in mind what that '80s stuff is. And it occurred to me that it is genuinely surprising he is not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Absolutely, yeah. Um, yeah. I think the range is there. The consistency is there. Like you said, uh, the hits are there. Like the demand music video reason. pioneer. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Hugely Absolutely. influential in, in the multimedia range. And, and um, I think, yeah, there's a strong case that he should legitimately be in the rock and roll hall of fame. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Well, this is the, the first thing is getting him into the chew hall of fame. That's right. First step. And then I'm going to I'm going to get my boy Questlove on the phone cuz I know he's <laughs> on the committee. <laughs> I you're probably listening out there Quest, so you need to get on them and uh RP needs to be in the in the HOF. 
You know Questlove I mean? liked <laughs> one of our photos on Instagram one day, man. Like I was so happy. Dude. We've got his yeah. ear. We've got <laughs> yeah, his ear. He did. I swear, he really did. I was like right on. I think it was a. Uh, it was a picture of maybe like I. Tower of Power or something like that. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Yeah, because you figure test Questlove likes Tower of Power. You oh, know, yeah. like yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. 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 That's a guy, God, man. That's I want to see. I want <laughs> yeah. that's a that's a dude's record collection. I want to spin. Jesus. Oh yeah, yeah, dude. How good, Levi, man. We're talking about these two artists, man. Take me back to like eighty-seven. Like, give me a give me a Terrence Trent Darby Palmer like arena tour. You know, like <laughs> right? God, how good would that be? Oh, Jesus. Yeah. yeah, maybe like. Coming out, both of them coming out at the end together, you know. Right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. That's what time machines are, are yeah. need to be made for, right there. Yeah. <laughs> um, but well, let's let's um abrupt shift here, guys. But let's uh let's let's move on to baseball to uh to this 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 new piece the inaugural chewing yeah chewing baseball team. I'm excited. So, um, like I said, these are um. These are our players that go into our Hall of Fame. Um, none of these, none of these guys are in Cooperstown, and uh, are I guess are unlikely to at this point. Um, Some may, yeah. That's a know. caveat for my list. It's possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but you lo- don't you lose eligibility after a while, right? You do. Yeah, right? but you always you always get the veterans committee to lean on. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. But, but I, I, mean, I have to admit, I don't understand the voting anymore. So yeah, um, yeah, it's it, too yeah, there's, yeah, yeah, yeah. After a while, you only need like six votes, and you're in. Um, <laughs> okay, but but yeah, we, but the idea with this is that we're trying to fill out a roster sure. um, with only so many openings per position, one opening per position, other than pitchers and, okay. and uh, outfielders. Cool. So who picks first? Uh, I, I'd nominate Levi to go first. All right, go for it, Levi. What, oh, what position man. are we starting at? Are we starting at first what, what, It's whatever guy, like oh, the okay. guy that you okay. need. Okay. So the wow. guy dictates oh, okay. the position oh, okay. we're starting with. So it's, it's yeah. one value, so to speak. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Right. yeah. Wow. So okay. in, in the value Please. being like, I need uh, this guy on right. my team. That's, regardless. I, I knew you had said that earlier, but I just maybe I'd forgotten about it when we got into the music conversation. Well, so that's yeah, a good plot twist here. one caveat on my list, you know, a lot of these guys were guys either that I always loved because it seemed like they would be awesome clubhouse guys or some of my guys are guys that just had like amazing one or two year spurts. Mm-hmm. So that's where I'm coming from on some of my guys. So, um, mm-hmm. I mean, I guess I got to I got to I got to start big at first base. I'm going to go with Derek Lee. Of the Chicago Cubs. Good choice. I like that. I like it, dude. I like Me it. Picking the Cubs. Could you imagine? But yeah, 2005 Derek Lee. I don't know if there was a better first baseman in baseball in 2005. I mean, there might have been, but like, I'm pretty sure Derek Lee in 2005 led the league in like hits. 199 hits. Yeah. yeah. 50 and- doubles. Yeah, and almost hit 50 homers, I'm pretty sure. Too, 46, 46 dongs. Yeah, so he was just ridiculous that year. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm I'm putting MVP 2005 baseball, Derek Lee, at first base. I like it. I like it. Yeah. Yeah, that's specifically like that year of Derek Lee. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. 
All right, man. First base. I mean, is yeah, he up. had some. He had some other good years too. I mean, he got. I think he won Silver Slugger a few times, even. But like, yeah, he uh-huh. was just yeah, yeah. two thousand five yeah. Derek Lee's where it's at. Few, few gold gloves. The, yeah, he was on the Marlins, right, Levi? Yeah, that's where. Yeah, I, he beat us in the playoffs. Yeah, he won in 03. Oh, right, yeah. right, yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> and then yeah. joined the Cubs. Yeah, no, that's a good one. Nice, nice. Um. I'm uh, I'm going to uh, go right over to second base then. So we got first base, Derek Lee. Gabe, I'm going to go ahead and go next. I decided. Okay, fine. <laughs> um, I'm going to go second base, uh, Dustin Pedroia. Um, and this is this was my caveat because he has a chance to get in the Hall of Fame. He's kind of on the the fringe. Um, but Dustin Pedroia to me was like because we're like kind of the same age, um, and I was a second baseman. Uh, in little league and we're pretty much the same size. So he is like my analog in (laughs) major league baseball. Like I gave up, I decided in high school that I didn't have enough talent. I was too small, but Dustin Pedroia taught me that I shouldn't have given up for being too small, (laughs) but just because I didn't have enough talent. And uh, uh, so that's why uh, PD, you know, being a guy, he was on those, uh, he wasn't on the first world series team for the, for the Red Sox in 04. Um, but he was on the others, um, and, uh, uh, just, you know, a, a scrappy guy, you know, always dirty, just pine tar everywhere. Oh, yeah. His hat's always like really dirty, like somehow in the, it's the bottom of the first inning and his, in his <laughs> uniform is just filthy. Um, and, uh, so yeah, Dustin Pedroia, second base. Before okay. we get too much further, should we announce what our picks were going to be if we had gotten to pick second base or first base? No. Or we just keep it rolling. Let, let's let's get through it, and then we'll we'll okay. throw out some of okay. the the honorable mentions. Okay. Let, yeah. Let me write these down too. Oh, I'm writing um, them down. I'm okay. Writing. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Um, all right. So I'm next. All right. This one, my first one was not uh, not a hard pick. I've I have I have given this this guy many accolades on this podcast over the years. Right. You guys, my first pick, Juan Pierre. <laughs> of course, dude. I think he's the most underrated player of all time. Yeah. Yeah. I do. I do. I really do. Um, let me ask you guys this though, because Juan modeled quite a few uniforms, and also, like Derek Lee, went from the championship Marlins to the Cubs right after. Yeah, yeah. Um, not right after, but like three years of the Mar. Who do you like when I when I say Juan Pierre? What hat is he wearing to you guys? Like, who do you who do you picture him with? I, I picture him on the Marlins. Marlins. Yeah, yeah, even though yeah, he played for the White Sox, he even though White he played for the Cubs too, yeah, and the White yeah. Sox. But, right. yeah, I think most people probably would, despite you know the fact that he played for like nine or ten teams. Yeah, yeah. it helps too that he finished his his career with the Marlins. He did, yeah. Um, what, what what position you want him at? Outfield. I'm gonna put him at center. Okay, well we'll just do outfield in general. Just do outfield. Okay, yeah, yeah. all right, that's yeah. fine. Well, yeah. And the guy played forever. Like 14 yeah. years, I think. Oh, yeah, man. Longevity. Yeah, definitely. He was a I'm grinder, man. Now. Dude, yeah. 14 years, and he almost had a 300 career batting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's sold over, like, sold over 600 bases. You know? I mean, a speed freak. His OPS um, Plus is only 84, which is below average, but I'm willing yeah. to look past it. All right. All right. I'm willing to look past it. The, guy, the guy's got my heart, man. I uh, I always like JP. Yeah. Well, I mean, so, they, used um, to say, they used to say you hit 300, you're pretty much in the Hall of Fame. A case can be made. Um, so, yeah, Juan Pierre for me, first pick. 
Nice, nice. Very nice. Gabe taking the first outfield spot. Okay. Yeah. Well, shoot. I then I think I may go outfield with my next pick. So many notes. This is uh, okay. Um, <laughs> ooh, this is a tough one because I got I got some I got some guys on this outfield too. Yeah, um, sorry. What thing, Levi? You know how I said Todd Van Poppel, like with your your sister. Yeah, yeah. Listen, to, like you know that scene in The Shining where Shelley Duvall looks at the paper right, of, of Nicholson and just says the same word. Like Ashley walks in, pulls something out of a typewriter. It's just top and Just over and over and over. I can't leave by giving her a real maniacal look. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. I just mentioned. She pulls up a picture of Todd Van Poppel trying to find out who he is. And it's my face. Yes. All right. Um, I'm gonna go outfield, and this is a tough one because I got uh, I got six guys down here. Who am I gonna go first to guarantee a spot? Um, but depending on who you pick, I'm gonna tell you right now the third outfield spot is gonna. I'm gonna choose the third outfielder because I'm <laughs> desperate to get this guy on our team. Okay. 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 Uh, so choose wisely. God, this is tough, man. Do I go Homer and go with another Cub? Do I? <sighs> yeah, props to you, Gabe, for actually picking a guy. Well, he was on the White Sox a couple years ago, but okay. Whereas Levi went Cubs, and I went Red Sox. Levi's next pick at outfield, Brady Anderson. Whoa! All right, I like it. I like it. <laughs> All right. Yep, yep. The, the, the questions about the 150 50 homer season be damned. Right? Yeah, 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 right. Yeah. Right. Well, and and like the dude was always ripped, but like he I will say he didn't look steroids ripped. You know what I mean? Cuz like you could look at guys like Canseco and Maguire looked like steroids ripped. Uh-huh. Where I don't think Brady Andrews, I mean, he just looked, I don't know. He looked like he did work out every freaking day. So, so he's, who knows? He's interesting cuz his second best homer season after that 50 homer season is 24. Right. <laughs> right. It's a drop off, man. Oh, yeah. 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 That's like, wild. He's just one of those guys that I, I seen there was a period where it was like every back of cards I ever opened had a Brady Anderson in him for yeah. about six yeah. years. Yeah. Another guy who played quite a while, 88 to 2002. Yeah, a lot of people don't realize he started that early. Same here. Yeah, I was like, it, before you, before I went to his Wikipedia page here, um, I would have been like, oh, Brady Anderson probably started about 93 or so. No, 88. Yeah. yeah. On the Red Sox. Well, and that's part of it is like he hit 50 at age 32, is, which is when you kind of start your decline uh-huh. um, usually. But. Yeah, I'm going Brady Anderson just because okay. uh, he, he okay. brings that's me. A, that's another outfield. He brings me mm-hmm. warm '90s feelings. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, uh, for our third out, outfield um, outfielder, I'm I'm going to say it because I, I just I'd be so upset if you weren't on our team. Bo. Oh, <laughs> good work. Good work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Oh yeah. Yeah. Good call. Bo, Bo Jackson. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah, he's got to be on there. I mean, what what Bono, do you really Bono's need to say? Chew it, Bono's chew ins. Yeah, right on. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, all right. Good, good pick. Yeah, gosh, that's just one that was like so obvious. I overlooked it. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, um, and, and a guy who's it, yeah. like, you know, he's not going to be. He'll never be in the 
um, uh, Baseball Hall of Fame because there's so much that relies upon what you did for an extended period of time. I don't even know if he like qualifies. Did he play enough seasons? You have to play 10 seasons um, uh, to qualify for the Hall of Fame. But in, in terms of like overall contributions to the game, you know, just being so popular um, uh-huh. at the time, I, I think that there's a lot um, there's a lot of merit there. It was, uh, yeah, man, he was, he was the toast of the town there for, for about three seasons, you know, like 88 to 90. That's, that's, those are his years right around yep. there. Yeah. 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 He I only mean, played parts of six, eight seasons. Yeah. So he technically does not qualify for the, for Cooper's yeah, it's so, uh, it's all He cool. started the trend of like the White Sox getting the guy past his prime, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. Like, yeah. Well, yeah. The only reason was because of injuries, man. It's yeah. like yeah, he, sure. his is the story, the saddest, saddest story of mm-hmm. injuries ruining a career. Was that game against that game against football. Buffalo, right? Um, yeah. In, in football, where it happened. And I mean, the injury yeah. didn't even look that bad when you yeah. Looked, yeah. like, yeah. no, yeah. but like, yeah. just, oh. Towards hip hop. Yeah. Oh, it's tragic. Yeah. Yeah. So, awesome pick, fun. though. We got to have All right. Fun. So, the outfield is set. Yeah, nope. Pierre All right. Anderson Jackson. Nice. <laughs> All right, good deal. Um, okay, I'm I'm, I'm next, right? Yep. Levi, Levi. Okay, Levi had a second pick. Okay. Um, hmm. Okay, I'm gonna go with our first pitcher. Um, gosh, you know, um. It, it, every baseball card I got, he looked like he was 65 years old. Um, I'm going to go with Charlie Huff. Nice. Yeah. Knuckleballer, you know, um, you know, obviously they're, they're, you know, him and Wakefield, I guess, probably the most famous knuckleballers, right? I would guess. Yeah. 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 Well, then there's the, the Blue Jays pitcher who wanted to say, um, Oh, R.A. Dickey, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to go with Charlie Huff, man. I like it. Um, Yeah, Mm -hmm. I always always like to see him. I think, yeah, he briefly played for the White Sox as well, I believe, too. It's crazy that Charlie Huff never – he he was pretty much a reliever until age 34 when he decided that he would start at least 30 games a year for like the next 10 years. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, at age 34, if you never too old to right, decide to be a right. starter. Yeah. <laughs> he used to be the, uh, I think the diamond King I got the most in 87 <laughs> Donruss. So I seem to always pull a Charlie Huff. <laughs> he was on that inaugural Marlins team too, I believe. Oh yeah. 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 Yeah, 90, 93, 94. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Beautiful. So I'll, t- I'll okay. take, yeah, nice. I'll take off, man. Nice. Okay. Okay. Um, all right. I think I'm going to go. I think I'm going to go shortstop. All right. Or hold on. I think I'm going to do starting pitcher. I'm changing it. Okay. I'm going to do a starting pitcher. And, um, I should have enough room to I can save my my Cubs Homer pitcher maybe for later. So I think I'm gonna go just straight off off numbers and uh talent for the first one here. Uh I, I am gonna guess the last name, but I, I think it's Pat Hintgen. Hintgen? Hinken. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hinken. Yeah. Yeah. Nineteen ninety six Pat Hinken. 
20 game winner, Cy Young Award winner. Nice. Another Good guy choice. I used to pull a lot in base in packs uh-huh. of baseball cards. Him, him and Jimmy Key would have been in that rotation at the same time, maybe. Maybe. Or Jimmy Key a little earlier. Probably a little earlier, right? Yeah, Key was in the eighties. Key was and in joined and joined that rotation in uh, ninety-three. Oh, okay. I'm off uh, then. Okay. No, Hank right. Hankin had a, several really good seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. Nice. I'll, I'll, I'll add to the starting pitchers here uh, to help around out our rotation a little bit. And uh, I'm going to go with uh, a, a guy who is currently inscribed in my uh, Rawlings glove that I've used since, uh, I don't know, freshman year in high school, Steve Avery. Nice. Uh-huh. Yeah. Good choice. Yeah. The the unsung hero of that uh, classic 90s Braves rotation. Yeah. Always got oh. overshadowed by the Hall of Famers that are in that rotation. Yeah. But yeah. 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 Good good pick. Played for the Red Sox for a little while, too, I think. Right? Yeah. A couple of years. A couple of years with yeah. the Red Sox. A couple of yeah. 18 win seasons with uh, the Braves. Okay. Now, where, where are we at on pitchers now? We, we have three years? starting pitchers. So we need two more starters and two relievers. Okay, or is it three? Really, um, I'm gonna keep. I'm gonna. I'm gonna keep the pitcher thing going here. Um, I'm gonna go with Blackjack, man. I'll take Blackjack McDowell. Nice, nice. Yeah, you know, um, obviously, pitcher, musician, friend of a 1992 Eddie Vedder. Uh, right. I don't know if they. Maybe they still hang out. I don't know. Maybe, um, maybe. but yeah. So yeah, I'm gonna go with Blackjack, man. Um, you know, middle, middle finger and all. Um, so yeah, I mean, I mean, um, you know, I, I've, I've mentioned somebody, we didn't have this caveat. He, he did win a Cy Young. Um, yeah. yeah. So, um, well, he was an all-star at least two or three times. He was. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, he'll, he'll, his years on the white Sox would, would put him at, He's definitely if there's a if there's a if there's a White Sox all time rotation, he's probably in there. Yeah, Cy um, Young votes three years in a row. Yeah, including the so, winning, finished right. second one year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I'll go with uh, I'll nice. go with uh, Blackjack. Nice. Yeah. This is a good rotation. Huff, yeah. Hankin, Avery, McDowell. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Um. I guess I'm going to do shortstop now. Um, shortstop, I'm going to do John. Oh, my computer's. Okay, we're good. Um, John Valentin. Valentin. John oh, Valentin, okay. the old yeah. Uh, Red Sox. Yeah. I'm going to, wow, I'm going to choose choice. him. I wasn't yeah. expecting that. Yeah. He was the guy that I, uh, I always respected. You know, he... Uh, Pretty sure he had a halfway long career, didn't he? Uh, he played till thirty five, uh, eleven years. Yeah, uh, I, he's one of those guys where I used to always. I, a lot of mine is based off guys that I constantly remember having their cards. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, and so yeah. yeah, I would get his cards all the time. Um, his big season was in ninety five. If you look, his WAR in nineteen ninety five was eight point three. That's stellar. No, that's like amazing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 That wow. I didn't realize that. That is really something. Um, he probably should have finished better than ninth in the MVP voting. Um, 
All right, I'll go third base. And uh, this was a guy that, uh, you know, we, you kind of idolized growing up because you would see his stat line. Um, it was it was highlighted in every state journal register out of Springfield, Illinois. <laughs> Kevin Seitzer. There we go. Good uh, choice. Yeah, Kevin Seitzer. Got to have him. Yeah. He was on the cover of Beckett, that one. Um, yeah. That one issue, too. Yeah. 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 And legitimately so. I mean, he was a, he was a yeah. hitting machine there for mm-hmm. a while. Um, so we're proud to have him representing Central Illinois. He stuck around the game. He was he was the Royals hitting coach one year, wasn't he? I think. Uh, yeah, and actually he's for, the for Braves for hitting coach for your Is world he? champion Atlanta Braves. All right, yeah. so yeah, the guy's you know good uh, good good coaching career. Too. There's uh, there's yeah. still a batting cage here called Mac and Sight Batting Cage. I think oh, it's nice. still yeah, and uh, yeah, he owns that with Almost uh, won Mike McFarland in '87. Uh, yeah, yeah, finished second. Yeah. So is the infield set at this point? Our infield is set. Yeah, yeah. We've got okay. uh, Lee Pedroia, um, uh, Valentin, and Seitzer. Okay, I like it. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So we need a catcher, um, okay. and we need uh, we still need a starting pitcher and some relief pitchers. Okay. And Gosh. a DH? Do we want to do a DH? That's fine. Yeah, we can do a DH. Yeah, I'll do a DH. Um, so will it just be somebody that spent most of their career at DH? That, yeah, and qualifies okay. at least a okay. few years at DH. People, you think of that player as a DH. Okay. Um, I'm going to go into the bullpen now. You know, um, just a guy I, you know, obviously you caught up to him, but uh, I always kind of wanted to party with him. Um, Rod Beck. Nice. You know? Yeah, yeah. I guess I shouldn't talk about partying and Rod Beck, but you know what I mean? It's going to grip. But um, yeah, I, uh, I, 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 he was a fun guy to watch, man. And, and seemed like a cool dude too, you know, I mean, yeah, tragic, rest in peace. Tragic, yeah. tragic story, obviously. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I don't mean to make light of it there, but um, yeah. Uh, good Fu Manchu a few, several seasons as well. So yeah. Yeah. I'll go, with, I'll it go all together. Rod Beck. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. All right. Okay. Um, I think I'm going to do catcher, and I'm going to I'm going to do a guy we've talked about some on here before. I think a few times, but um, I got to go with the catcher of my youth, Benito Santiago. Ah, of course, <laughs> the quintessential '80s catcher, in my opinion. Good um, yeah. I mean, you know, we can't choose people like Gary Carter and, other, you know, those guys no. are in the Hall of Fame or whatnot. Yep. Yep. But like Benito, 20 years of, of throwing from the one knee. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. He was so, uh, I, I got to go with him, man. Good choice. Yeah. I was. He, he uh, talk about he, he's up there with like Gaylord Perry, I think, as far as jerseys. He had about he's modeled some uniforms. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Including the Cubs. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, okay, I like it. Uh, so I'll I'll uh, I'll contribute to. Let's see. We need a uh, we need a starting pitcher. We need a relief pitcher. Um, I actually got a guy who could do either. Um, and uh, so I'll go ahead and choose him as a relief pitcher, Derek Lowe. Nice. Okay. Add, add another uh, Derek yeah. to the team. Uh, Derek sure. Lowe. I, I li- yeah, I loved his versatility because he was he was a really good starting pitcher. He was a really good relief pitcher. The year that yeah. in 04 when they when the Red Sox uh, won the World Series finally, he um, I think he's 
he uh, uh, he was there for the final. No, that was Keith Folk for the final out. Derek Lowe started the clinching game, I think, for like every series in that playoffs, mm-hmm. if I recall. Yeah, yeah. So Derek Lowe, he came up big. Played the Dodgers for a while too, right? I think. Uh, I'm looking looking them up right here. Uh, yeah, yeah. He played uh, several years with the Dodgers. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, one year for the Red Sox, he saved 42 games, and then um, a few years later, he he won 21 games. <laughs> wow! Uh, damn. Yeah. Yeah. He won 21 games, huh? Yeah, he went 21 and 8. He's, he saved 42 games in 2000, 24 games in 2001, and then just went 21 8 in 2002, Damn. 17 and 7 in 03. I had no, I got to admit, I no recollection of Derek Lowe being a 20 game, 20 game plus winner. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, uh, 176 career wins. Um, so that leaves All right, with the starting pitcher, right? I'm going to round out our rotation. Then, or, or DH. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm going to round out the rotation. I've, I've sung this guy's praises on the podcast before. Smoke Stewart, man. Dave Stewart. Nice. I got to do it. Nice. Man, I mean, yeah. if if he could have just those five seasons that he had yeah. on Oakland there, if he could have just, like, you know, gotten, like, maybe, like, four more of those, three or four more of those, you know, I think he's in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. He was yeah. fucking awesome. He and was. really just just such an intimidating presence on the mound. Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. One of my favorite pitchers of all time. So, yeah, I'm going to yeah. go. I like it. Stewart. Yep. I like it. Awesome. Well, Levi, you want to you want to give us a DH and we could we could call it a team, I think. Let's see. And I guess yeah. we could we could finish the uh, we well, could we could finish so the, the round DH, with a couple you know, couple I mean, utility guys. My DH, you know, I don't know if he played a lot of DH, but I'm going to put him there just so we get him on the team. We've got like, some flexibility here. Mark DeRosa. <laughs> All, right. <laughs> All right. All right. Yeah. He could. I mean, that ultimate utility guy. Yeah. yeah right. The, right. As far, he could play infield, outfield. He could be my DH. I don't mind. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. Yeah. I got to get him on the team somehow. Yeah. No, I don't yeah. mind him as a broadcaster either. I don't mind him. No, I, I always liked him even before he played for the Cubs. And then I was thrilled that the Cubs got him. And then I was sad when we got rid of him. So, um, yeah. for the record, 28 career games as a DH. So that's good enough for yeah. us. Mm-hmm. Meets right. the criteria. There yeah. 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 <laughs> um, well, yeah. Uh, nice. Nice. So, well, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and uh, let's to help round out the team. Um, kind of a utility guy, played both infield and outfield, Kevin Mitchell. Good call. Okay. Another, okay. another card of my youth. Yep. Yeah. yeah. You're talking the Giants, Kevin Mitchell, right? Correct. Or the Mets, Kevin Mitchell. Okay, or the Mets, Kevin Mitchell. Or the, yeah, yeah. Or like Carter Barry had to catch Kevin Mitchell. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. right, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right, Gabe, you want to round it out with uh, uh, with one last guy? Who, 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 who just, it could be any, anybody. anybody. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, sure. Okay, I'll go with, um, Gosh, this one. I don't, I don't know if this guy's like. Gosh, no. I mean, none of these guys are in the hall, so they're not like too good. I guess. <laughs> well, 
that's, um, the, that's the, our whole yeah. thing. Yeah. 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 Right. Well, yeah, I, I've said it before as well. I mean, he was. It, it, it's kind of like Stewart. He didn't. He didn't string enough. String enough of these seasons along. But I think one of the most exciting guys to watch during our youth was Eric Davis. Yeah. Nice. So yeah, yeah I'm going to go with him, man. Yeah, I mean, he was, call. he was a lot of fun to watch. Um, you know, just, just couldn't put it really together for more than like five, five years or so, yeah. you know, but was a star certainly. Mm-hmm. And um, just a good, you know, good hitter, you know, good fielder speed, um yeah uh he was he was a really fun guy to watch you know yeah, um yeah. so so yeah I'll, I'll go with eric davis yeah 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 i like it all right um even late in his career he at at age 34 you know he hit um uh 26 homers and 83 rbi stole 23 bases so he's still getting it done there a little bit he had he had his flashes when he was healthy was that when he was with baltimore uh, that was actually uh, when he returned to Cincinnati, and then he went to Baltimore, and he had a year where he hit twenty eight and eighty nine. Oh, yeah, because he did play for the Dodgers for a little bit, didn't he? Yeah, 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 Just a little bit. Because him and Strawberry would have been on the Dodgers at the same time, like arriving at the Dodgers at the same time. He played for yeah, he played for the Dodgers, then the Tigers. I don't remember that. The Reds, the Orioles, the Cardinals, and the Giants. Okay, played longer than I thought, you know, like 17 years. Okay, like I, yeah, I have to admit, yeah. I, I didn't know he played that long. Yeah, neither did I. I mean, those those Cincinnati years from like 86 to like 90 are, you know, that's that's his cream of the crop mm-hmm. right there. Yeah, you thought he was on a Hall of Fame trajectory, but then right, just kind of fell apart for him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to mention a couple of my guys who did make it that yeah. I, I feel were deserving. We'll do some quick honorable mentions. Um some of these, obviously, I, I'm a homer, so some of them are Cubs. Chris Coglin in the outfield somewhere. <laughs> Good choice. I like it. Uh, Dave Kingman, another Cub. Oh, yeah. Who was, who was a, a late 70s, early 80s stud. Yeah, yeah. Uh, doesn't get a ton of credit. He was uh, Two all guys, or nothing. And, yeah. you know, I thought maybe one of you guys might pick either of these guys, but we didn't. Kenny Lofton or Albert Bell. Yeah, good. It could, nice. could good have been on the Lofton, man. Yeah, Lofton yeah. was Lofton was great. Yeah, yeah. Those and are, I mean, there was a few uniforms too. Yeah, Al- Albert Bell, man. He there was a time when he was, yeah, you know, projected to possibly. Oh be yeah, all oh yeah, yeah. He's getting MVP yeah. votes. Yeah. yeah, don't call him Joey. No, um, <laughs> my second baseman was going to be Brett Boone. Oh yeah. Yeah. 2001 Mariners, Brett Boone, to be yeah. specific. Yeah. Because yeah. his like 8.8 yeah. war and his 141 RBIs. Damn. Yeah. Um, <laughs> my third baseman, if I had gotten to pick one, was going to be Morgan Ensberg. Oh, like, okay. All like right. Deep and, there. Yeah. And I'm not an Astros guy, but man, 36 homers, 101 RBIs, and a 945 OPS in 2005. Yeah, I remember that's he would have been on oh. the White Sox face that team. Who knows? Series. They could have been banging yeah. trash cans yeah. back then with those numbers. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's funny because if you take all of these guys' best seasons and you make a team out of that, it's I mean, it's a it's an all-star team. Oh, of course. Um, oh yeah. 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 Um, my starting pitchers, uh 
I had Ryan Dempster down as one. Um, I had Ted Lilly, the bulldog, down as one. Nice, Ted Lilly. Don't call me Eli. A couple obscure ones. uh, John Denny, who's a pitcher on the Phillies in the 80s. In 1983, he won the Cy Young Award and had a 7.4 war, which is pretty high for a pitcher. John Denny won a Cy Young? Yeah. Wow. 1983 Phillies. Is that the... uh, no, the 80 Phillies won the World Series. Yeah, yeah. The uh, uh, Orioles won in 83. Yeah. Damn. Wow. That's 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 definitely like a low-profile Cy Young winner there, right? you know? Um, wow. wow. My bullpen, I didn't get to pick any of my bullpen guys. I had uh, – well, no, you picked Rod Beck, didn't you? I did. So, yeah, Rod Beck was going to be one of mine. And then uh, Mitch Williams, the wild thing. Of course. And then uh, Fernando Rodney. Ah, yeah, the, the arrow. Yeah. Who, who just played up until a couple of years ago, right? I mean, he right? was, yeah. he was yeah. still in the league as pretty recently. Yeah. 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 Good good list. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if I, like, I, I didn't necessarily fill out, like, a whole team, but um, I had Pete and Cavillia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, I like yeah. that. Yeah. Right. Um, I always liked um, Tony Graffanino. I always liked. Yeah. 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 He was always like pretty endearing. Yeah. Um, good, uh, good setup guy. Or, well, I don't know if he's middle relief or setup. I remember Rick Honeycutt. Yeah. For the A's. Yeah. Really good. Um, you know, obviously White Sox Homer selections. Um, Aaron Rowan. Oh, right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Big part know. of the World Series team, right? Yeah. Fun guy to watch in center field, man. Just yeah. a guy that was. Played his yeah. guts out, man. I mean, just yeah. Um, you know, I'll put Creedy on there as well, you know, at third base. I got a soft spot for Creedy, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Um Cruck. Um Bobby Thigpen. Willie McGee. Wally Joyner. Greg Lazinski, Frank Viola. Those are some of the guys. Lance Johnson. Those are some of the You're guys. like looking at my Diamond Kings collection. Yeah, it looks yeah. like. They, they, might, they might be on next year's team. Was Lazinski a, a Diamond King? He might have been, right? Maybe. I'm not sure. I know okay. Willie McGee was for sure. Yeah, right. And Viola was. So. Yeah. Good team, though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lee Pedroia, Pierre Anderson, Jackson, Huff, Hinken, Avery, McDowell, Valentin, Seitzer, Beck, Santiago, Lowe, Stewart, DeRosa, Mitchell, and Davis. Nice. I, I, I put that some ballers, man. I put those guys up against. Yeah. Uh, that's 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 a playoff team, man. You yeah, know. Yeah. 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 Cool. Like cool. Cool. Nice. Yeah, I just want to like dust off a video game and put all those guys on the same team, <laughs> or at least yeah. put them together in my in my baseball card book. Yeah, there we yeah. go. Yeah. There we go. Lots of Instagram opportunities here with this team, so good deal. <laughs> all right, everybody, that was fun, guys. Good, yeah. good times, man. Good to be back. Indeed. Um, want to remind everybody: listen to um, you can listen to us a lot of different ways, but. Um, you can go to rockchew.com and um, it'll have links to all the popular streaming services where you can find us. Um, you can uh, also follow us on the Twitter and the Instagram. 
at rock in chew that's in as in no one selected no more garcia para he was on my list <laughs> yeah was well, okay yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um and yeah, please tell all your friends and uh, we'll hopefully we won't have as, as big of a, of a, of a gap here uh, in our, in between episodes next time. We've kind of, we've kind of been quarterly lately, but we'll try to uh, let's, let's pit, let's guys, let's, let's vow to, to, to crank up the output in, in 2022. So uh, hey, we survived the pandemic. So that we did, know, we some, did. Some things did not. So we hey. did. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, I uh, hope everybody has um, uh, a safe holiday season and uh, we will see everybody next time. Take care. Peace.